Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. Our Old Testament reading is from the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 16. 1 Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And our New Testament reading is from the book of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and change, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw that a demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for having me here today at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church, and uh, it is a privilege to be here in your midst. And one of the big reliefs when I first got here, just so you know, these are the things that preachers think about, is you have this kind of lapel mic here, because when I was at First Pres, we used to kind of come across, and uh, during the pandemic, a couple of times, one in particular, I was trying to get my mask, I got tangled up, and it, I was about two and a half minutes. Um, you know how long two and a half minutes is in the pulpit when you're trying to untangle yourself? It's a long time. So thank you guys up there. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, but this is truly a privilege to be in your midst today. And I, I like to be able to give you a little bit of information about myself, something that might be helpful for you to know about me um, as we go into the message today. So one, one factoid is um, I hate zombie movies. Um, I hate zombie movies. And, you know, I almost thought about saying raise your hand if you like zombie movies, but I didn't want to incriminate anybody in front of your pastoral staff. Um, but I know there's some of you out there. Uh, who love them, but the, to me, they're gross, they're disfigured, they're terrifying. And I was asking one of my sons, I have four grown sons, and I said, what is the deal with zombies? And he said, and, and I said, you, you, you can't do anything to them, it's hard to kill them, and all this stuff. And he started to explain a little bit about it, he said, Dad, he said, Dad, uh, my generation grew up with zombie movies, I think I know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, uh, but there's one night I remember, two of my sons were home visiting, and uh, my wife and, and I have two younger girls who were gone on a trip. And they said, hey, let's have a guy movie night. I'm like, great, love it, love to do that. And they said, let's watch World War Z. Yeah, okay, a couple of you know that. The Z should have given it away for me. Uh, because, and they said, Dad, Dad, this is not a typical zombie movie. It's a virus, don't worry about it. Um, it's not that scary. I'll never listen to your sons on, on that, by the way. Um, and so if you know anything about World War Z, it is a zombie movie. And they get this virus, and then they try to bite you, and then you get the virus, and it's pretty gory. And, um, but there's one thing you need to know about these zombies in this movie, is that they're sensitive to sound. So one of them can come up very close to you, and if you remain completely silent, they won't know that you're there. They won't do anything to you. Um, and then maybe, but if you make a sound, then you're, you're, you're toast. So... The World War Z is done, uh, and my boys go back to their brother's house where they were staying, and there I am. It's about midnight in my house by myself. And so I'm in bed, and I wake up about 2 a.m. Ever done that? And you wake up at 2 a.m., and you're not sure where you are? Well, I was in the movie. Uh, my mind had taken me to that movie, and I was par Like, I wasn't moving. I mean, if the house had burned down, I'm staying in my bed. I'm not making a sound. I'm petrified. Think about the last time you were just petrified. Now, what I was feeling in that moment would only be a fraction of what the disciples were experiencing as they came to the shore of the Gerasenes that day. As they came to see this demoniac, this man who was filled with demons. Mine was a dumb Hollywood movie. This is a real situation with the disciples. So we're going to go down through Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at four things. Place, power, people, and purpose. Uh, when we look at this passage. Let's look first 
at the place because that gives us the settings. First is called the, the, the Gerasenes. And if you're familiar with that territory, it's across the Sea of Galilee. It's the Decapolis uh, for 10 cities that Alexander the Great had founded. So it's Gentile territories, and, and Jews wouldn't normally go there. I mean, it's a little bit, it's even more out of the way, if you were, um, to Samaria. You might go through Samaria if you're, you know, cutting time or meeting with a Samaritan woman. Um, but you wouldn't go to the Decapolis necessarily intentionally. It's, it's a place where you wouldn't want to be found. But we know that whatever Jesus does is intentional. Now, one of my favorite movies, I will tell you, is the Bourne trilogy, right? The Bourne supremacy. And if you remember that movie, one of my favorite scenes in that movie, maybe you know Jason Bourne was a CIA agent, and it seems like he snapped and gone rogue, and he comes up on the grid uh, almost randomly, and there they are in this room trying to figure out who he is and what he's doing, and they ask one of his former colleagues, well, maybe this is just random. And she says, he doesn't do random. There's always an objective. There's always a plan. And that's the way it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's always an objective. There's always a plan. Jesus doesn't do random. And that's just a, the first kind of challenge I'll set out to you. Do you see Christ working in your life? Do you see the intentionality God has as you follow him? And I'm always, I'm always enamored when, even as we as Christians, we say, well, I'm going to go there, you know, tomorrow, knock on wood. I'm like, knock on wood? What does that mean? Right? That has no bearing in our Christian walk. We serve a God who is essential over every detail of our lives. Our God is the God who threw the stars into place and knows every detail of your life and is orchestrating that according to his purposes. Well, to make matters worse, right, carved into this hillside would be Gentile tombs. Uh, it would, it would, and that's where the demoniac is, and that's where people are buried. It was as, as, as spooky back then as it would be today. And then, as if it couldn't get worse, this man comes screaming out and confronts Jesus and the disciples. Now, add to that the backdrop of... Right over there, there's 2,000 pigs, unclean animals. And that many pigs in one location, some uh, commentators think that perhaps they were being raised for sacrifice, for pagan sacrifices. So when you think about it, everything about this scene is wrong. There's, there's, it's enemy territory. It's a pagan burial ground. It's a man with evil spirits. There's unclean animals. Everything about that is wrong. And that's why I love the detail of this. Because it talks about how they come to the shore. And who gets out of the boat first? Jesus. You bet. I'm right behind you, Jesus. That's what I'd be saying. Because there's no way I want to step foot on these shores. So let's put it this way. The first truth that I think comes out of this passage, and that is, Brothers and sisters, there's no place that Christ will not go. There's no place that Christ will not go. He will go anywhere. He goes to Samaria. He goes to the Decapolis. He goes to the hardest places, the craziest places, the spookiest places. Why? Because in Luke 19, what does it say? The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. 
That's what he does. He goes. He doesn't wait for people to come to him. He goes and he seeks them out. And I love that when you think about Jesus as he comes off his throne from heaven. He, he leaves his magnificent throne. He comes to earth, born under the law, born in, in meager circumstances, as the catechism says. And then when he gets here, he goes to the hardest places while he's here. Which I think really confronts us. And I, I so appreciated your confession of sin this morning. Because to me, one of the goals of American culture, one a part of the American dream, is to create an environment of comfort and security for ourselves. Is it not? That's what part of one of our highest values is in our culture. I was describing in Sunday school that several years ago, we believed that God was calling us as a church at First Pres um, to Bangladesh. And so we started sending short-term teams over there just a week at a time, and we were surveying what God was doing there. And we came across this place right in, in the heart of the city. It was, it was an awful part of the city. It's where a lot of human trafficking was going on. And there amongst all these buildings is a four-story building. The woman's name was Robin. She wasn't with MTW. Uh, she was a missionary called there. And she, her ministry was to women who, hard to say it like this, had aged out of trafficking, so to speak. We're broken. And there she was right there. And we go in on the first floor. And there's um, kids running around, and there's a little bit of a residential section on the next floor, and then a training center on the next floor, and then some offices on the top floor. And it was just this, this glorious chaos. And I, and I looked to her, and I said, Robin, I don't know how you do what you do, but I am grateful that God has called you here. And she did it with such joy. God calls us to minister in some of the hardest places in the world. Our coordinator, Lloyd Kim, who heads up all of MTW, he tells a story about when he and his wife were considering going to Cambodia. So there they go on a vision trip, his wife and family. They're there staying overnight. And it's a hot evening, so all the windows are open. And they're there sleeping, and I don't know, about 2 or 3 a.m., he hears something. And sure enough, there's a man who'd come into their place, their apartment, and then jumped out the window and found his way down. He looked around, found that the man had... Uh, taking some of their items, particularly his wallet. But what is the first thing, if somebody breaks into your house and you're there with your family, what is the first thought that comes to your mind? The safety of your kids, right? Runs into the room once he sees the man run out the door. Kids are there. Kids are safe. Now, what would be your conversation with your spouse that next morning in terms of God's calling? And his wife, Edith, said it like this. She, and he was curious. He didn't know what she was thinking. She said, Wow. This country really needs the gospel. And they ended up serving there for many years together. But that's what God does. He calls us to those places that can be difficult. He calls us uh, outside of our comfort zone. It is not your goal, brothers and sisters, to create the safest, most comfortable place to follow. But, to, um, but rather to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you've, heard of the, you've heard of the term, the helicopter parent? Right, hovering over their children so that they can navigate their way. The new term I heard is a snowplow parent. The one who plows the way so the child never has to experience adversity. But that's not what Christ calls us to. He calls us to, each one of us, to consider how he would want us to follow him. And so that's our prayer at MTW.
prayer is that God would raise up another 1%. It's called the 1% challenge for global missions over the next, well, it was 10 years ago, three years ago, but now, I mean, 10 years, three years ago, but now it's seven more years. God is answering those prayers. Would you join us in praying that God would raise up 1% of this congregation to go to the uttermost parts of the earth because there is no place that Christ will not go. But secondly, let's look at the powerful forces uh, of evil at work here. You have this man who's demon-possessed. We understand that. The biblical worldview is God has enemies. There's angels and demons that oppose the kingdom of God. So Satan's kingdom has set itself up against Christ. And this is why one of our vision statements, or part of our vision statement at MTW, is this. We want the gospel to spread throughout the world, the church to grow, and Satan's kingdom to be destroyed, and Christ's reign to be extended to the ends of the earth. That's what we're about. As we see the kingdom of God expand, as we see it advance, we see the kingdom of Satan destroyed. And when you think about this passage, especially in the New Testament, this is no ordinary demon possession. As the scripture says, as the passage says, this man was filled with a legion of demons. That's a, that's a military term of up to 6,000 soldiers. We have no idea how many demons were inside of this man. We don't know how many, but we do know it was many did you ever notice, too, in the Gospels, like, we don't know why. The Gospels often don't tell us why people are in their circumstances. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't say, well, you know, he was foolish. He was dealing in the occult. Got what he deserved. Doesn't say anything like that, does it? We don't know why he got into the circumstance. Jesus doesn't seem to care. And then the question that comes to mind in this passage is, why don't they just take a lead and kill this guy? I mean, they could, but they, because it's running up against a Greco-Roman worldview. Because in their worldview, there were gods and demigods who possessed or sent evil spirits to possess people as retribution for not being good people, not being, uh, not 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 um, following their gods. And so you don't want to, you notice in the passage, they're not going to kill him. They're just trying to bind him because you don't want to upset the other gods even worse and have them send more evil spirits on you. So they're caught in this conundrum. We're trying to contain him, but we don't want to kill him. But look at his condition. Let me just describe his condition to you. He's possessed. He's naked. He's isolated. And he's in a continual state of self-destruction, but not being fully destroyed. Brothers and sisters, what does that sound like to you? This is a physical description, a word picture of hell. This is a word picture of separation from God's gracious presence. Eternally being dehumanized. And I know in our culture, we either deny hell or... Or for some of my friends when I was in college, hey, hell's going to be the greatest party place. No, it's not. Right? This is a description of what hell will be like. But look at what happens. You have this demon possession, and then you have divine authority. 
and there's no comparison. The, de- demo- the demoniac runs to Jesus, verse 6. He ran and falls at Jesus' feet, and he cringes at Jesus' power. I think this is just a perfect description of Philippians chapter 2, isn't it, where Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. There'll be no denying it, whether you worship him or not. There will be no denying that Jesus is the name above every name. And Jesus shows his complete and total authority over the of demons. It's a fascinating encounter between Jesus and these evil spirits. And it's fascinating they beg Jesus to go into this herd of pigs because they know now that he has completed it. They know who he is. A lot of people around him don't know who he is, but they know who he is. And they beg him to go into the herd of pigs, and Jesus grants it. He says, yep, unclean spirits, unclean animals. Okay, go for it. And then the entire into the water, into this ocean, and into the sea. And it just makes it clear. First of all, number one, there's no place that Christ will not go. And secondly, there's no power that he cannot subdue. No power that he cannot subdue. Jesus Christ has power over sickness, over creation, over evil spirits, and ultimately over sin and death. And brothers and sisters, that's what motivates us to be able to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That we have a Savior that is with us, who is in us, who will be with us as it says in Matthew, even to the end of the age. Again, when I was at First Pres, we rewrote some of our mission's values. We were trying to figure out what are, what are the, the values that would undergird uh, what drives us in missions. And we came up with a term called recklessly dependent. Recklessly dependent. Listen to what it says. God calls us away from the status quo and to take risks by faith in his strength for the sake of his eternal kingdom. The Lord calls his people to step out in faith that seems reckless. Yet that reckless abandonment to the will of the Lord brings glory and honor to him. And I think that's what he calls us to. Not creating this place of comfort for ourselves, which we just confessed this morning, but to step out in faith no matter where, knowing that Christ goes with us. One of our missionaries who uh, is in the Persian world and dealt a lot in the Persian world um, has fascinating comparisons. And I I know it wasn't that long ago when you saw, we all saw on the news, all these folks from Afghanistan trying to get out of the country. And they're clinging, I mean, how sad, clinging to an airplane, trying to get out of the country. And our hearts just pour out for people in those circumstances, things that we don't even experience in our lives here in the United States. One of our missionaries put it this way. He compared it back to Iran back in the 1970s. He said, remember when the Ayatollah took over in Iran? And Islam was going to promise everything good that they needed. It was going to provide jobs. It was going to buy economic stability, religious, you know, uh, um, religious unity. And over a generation, how many years has it been? 40, 50, 60 years. The disillusionment with those promises has set into the culture. And now... It's, it's only an estimate. Folks are estimating that there's almost a million followers of Christ in Iran today. 
Can you believe that? I was in Turkey. All my friends in Turkey are like, Lord, we're just waiting for that wave for the border. Just send your spirit in Turkey as well. But my friend put it like this. He said, I can see it. It's the same pattern. And it seems awful as many are displaced. And we see the Taliban take over. He says, it's the same pattern. He said, you wait. You wait and see what God will do in that country. Because there's no power that Christ cannot subdue. Personal, political, economic, there is no power outside the realm of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's not just take a breath at the people that Christ is ministering to or as, who come in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. First you have the herdsmen. Notice the herdsmen. What do they do? They're, they're shepherding their flock of pigs, so to speak, herd of pigs. And all of a sudden, two, can you imagine, 2,000 pigs over a cliff. And they, you, you well know that somebody's going to ask, what happened under your watch? So what do they do? They run to the town, and they're, they're just trying to cover themselves. They say, hey, wait, wait, this guy came, and these, the evil spirit, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, 2,000 pigs run over. You've got to come out and see this man. They're just trying to cover themselves because a lot of people's livelihood just went over the cliff. And look at the people now. The people come out. They're intrigued, obviously, as they're seeing what happened. Look at verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw, this is beautiful, saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, the, had had the legion, sitting there and clothed and in his right mind. Isn't that beautiful? And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And look at verse 17. Look at their response. And they began to beg to depart from their region. To depart from their region. Now, I appreciate that, right? Here's this demon-possessed man who's been plaguing them for who knows how long. And now this other guy comes in and overthrows what their gods have been doing to this man. And they're shocked. And they're scared. And they don't know what to do. So I appreciate that, that they're dealing with a power greater than what they have ever seen. And yet, is it not sad at the same time? That they would rather stay in their, stay in their current state and tell Jesus to leave, rather than find out more about who this man was. So you get the herdsman, you get the people, and now you got the man, he's dressed and in his right mind, check this out. His shame is covered. His mind is restored. His self-destruction has been reversed. And healing begins to take place. And it appears he's fully aware of what has happened to him. Brothers and sisters, this is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel in our lives. The power of the Savior who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who sends his spirit, that is what Jesus does to put their trust in him. And so there's no place that Christ will not go. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. And thirdly, there's no person that Christ cannot redeem. Even the most unlikely, do me a favor for a minute. Picture in your mind a person, a relative, a colleague, a person at your work, who you just think, this person could never come to Christ. 
I mean, you just can't imagine it. Now take a minute, or maybe this afternoon, and just use your, I call it your sanctified imagination, and imagine what it would look like if that person were to follow Christ. What would that be like? What would it take for your friend to come to Christ? There's no person that Christ cannot redeem. And by the way, just as a side note, it was amazingly miraculous that this man was delivered. But can I ask you, whether it was this man or whether you grew up in the church, is it any less miraculous that Christ brought you to himself? I can tell you not. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, as the scripture says. That is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love his story. His, what is he? He's not a seeker. Not coming to church with a friend. Not watching any stuff on TV. He has no power to deliver himself. Jesus came to him. Jesus gave, took that heart and put in the heart of flesh. And again, that's what motivates us as we see a world, a broken world, outside of ourselves. T. Wright puts what Jesus does for this man and for all of us like this. At the climax of Mark's story, as you get to the end of it, right? As the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end the tombs, shouting, he is torn apart on the cross by a Roman standard of torture. But that's what it took, didn't it? It took the Son of God to take our place, taking the punishment that we deserve to save us, every one of us. Amazing, amazing love. Now, you look at the world around you, and it's sometimes difficult, right? I, I, we, when we talk about missions, we wonder about, you know, I shared in Sunday school class, if, if, if every Christian in the world shared the gospel with everyone they knew, and every one of those per people came to Christ. I asked the question in Sunday school, how many people would still be unreached? And we say about 2 billion who still don't have access. So there's a call, is there not? There's a work to be done globally for God's kingdom. And if you're like me, sometimes it seems daunting. Do you look at the world around you and it seems a little daunting, like, ah, and yet, God is on the move. God is on the move here. I can see it in your midst. God is on the move around the world. One of our missionaries in the Middle East, we have close contact with him. And I said to him one time, just it was almost random. I wrote him an email. I said, how can we be praying for you? And he said, he said oh, I've got to tell you this. So he writes this to me. He's working in the Middle East. He says, pray for the dozens of men and their families who come to faith, uh, to come to faith in Christ among a new group in the village of S, he called it. We just met today with a group of 30 men. That is all who could fit into the house we visited. The whole thing was arranged by one man who started considering the gospel, and he pulled together his whole community so we could come and share with them. There were at least 17 more that would have come who were told to wait because of space, lack of space. All of them expressed their desire to start meeting every week in a Bible study with us. All of them are from Muslim backgrounds. 
Amazing. So although on, on the one hand, it seems like the task is daunting, on the other hand, God is on the move. Amazing. But let's wrap it up with this. We can see God's purpose now in the man's life. You notice what happens? Jesus heals him. He's clothing his right mind. Look at verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, well, what does the man do? The man who was possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Well, of course, who wouldn't want to, right? Leave me here. But notice what Jesus says. He says, go to your own. Go to your family. Go to your place. Go to your region. And you have to be thinking to yourself, what family? Imagine if this had happened to you. What would have happened to all of your family relationships? They'd be left in ruins. All your friendships left in ruins as you're possessed by demons. And yet Jesus tells him to go back. Think of the pain that he Imagine the power of his story of what Christ has done in his life. The people reject him. They don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They tell Jesus to go away, but Jesus doesn't reject them, does he? He sends the men back to those people. So there's no place that Christ will not go, no power that Christ cannot subdue, no person that Christ cannot redeem, and no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. Christ has purpose to use you. I'm leading a cohort of six young people, and this is what we're doing. We meet tomorrow night, and tomorrow night is this. You have to be able to share your testimony in seconds for the elevator ride, and you've got to be able to share your testimony in five minutes for when you sit down at Starbucks with a friend. When they push that button five on the elevator, you have 30 seconds. I would challenge you. Begin to think about how God has worked in your life. Memorize it. Memorize verses of the scripture. You never know. God, once you start equipping, being equipped, God will use you. And you will start to see how he will work in your life. Ephesians 2.10 puts it like this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has what? Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't do random. He doesn't do accidental. He has you right where he, he wants you. And he may be calling you. He may be calling you to be a, stay here and be a sender. He may be calling you to go. He's writing his story and he's calling you to join that story. No place, no power, no person, no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we... Your word. It just encourages us what an amazing Savior you are. Some of us have an, uh, an outstanding, crazy testimony. Others grew up in a Christian home. No matter what, it was your power at work in our lives. And so as we follow you, as we worship you, as we give you the praise and glory that is due your name, would you help us to follow you wherever you call us? New Haven, Bangladesh, Senegal, Middle East, Central America, South, wherever, Lord. We just pray that you would open our hearts to your leading and that we would be pleased to say yes to you. We give you praise in Christ's name.
Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.